are so thankful for each and every one of you who are here with us today and those who are joining online today. Again, we are so thankful that you have braved uh, the stormy weather to come here and worship the Lord today. But it is Easter Sunday here at Enon. This is obviously one of our most favorite Sundays of the year. It is uh, what we believe as Christians is the greatest day in human history. History, the day that Jesus rose from the grave. The Apostle Paul said uh, that if Christ was not raised, then our faith is in vain. But Christ now has been raised, and it is my great honor to get to open up God's Word to you uh, today. Now, the problem as a pastor uh, in preparing for an Easter Sunday sermon is there's so much we could focus on today, and it's all just so good. Uh, It's like going to a dessert table at a church social. You don't really know. It all looks so good. What do you pick? Now, personally, when we talk about church socials, my answer to that is a little bit bigger plate. So... But I only have so much time this morning, so we've got to go in one direction. But there is so much we could talk about today. You know, first and foremost... We could this morning go back to the reason why we have a resurrection in the first place. And that's because we have a cross. You know, before we can get to the celebration of Sunday, you have to cross over the suffering of Friday. And a little over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, truly did suffer and die on a cross so that those of us who are separated from God, which is all of us because of our sin, could be brought near to God through His grace and mercy. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ died once for the sins of all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. Friends and family here today and those who are watching online, we won't dive into every aspect of Jesus' sacrifice today, but it is the foundation, the undergirding of everything we talk about this morning. And if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this, Jesus really does love you. Jesus really did die on the cross, and he really did do it for you. And the sacrifice of Jesus, there is still life-changing powerful power available to those who put their faith in him. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that has been changing lives for over 2,000 years, and he can still change lives today. Another aspect that we could talk about today about the resurrection is we could talk about how the resurrection of Jesus is one of the most historically attributed events in the history of the world. If we use the measures that even secular scholars use to verify events from ancient history, the resurrection of Jesus is easily one of the most factualized events in the ancient world. Medical experts conclude from the writings of Jesus that he really did die on the cross. The Bible shows us also not only that Jesus died and that he rose, these these, uh, literary accounts, but it also verifies them in the accounts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes of one of Paul's post-resurrection, one of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, and he says this, At one point, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Paul is essentially saying, these people are still alive. If you want to believe that Jesus rose from the grave, go and ask for yourself. The time frame in which these writings were written and the fact that they have built-in verifiable markers show us that this story would have never gotten off the ground if it hadn't actually 
happened, the church would have not have gotten off the ground if these facts had not been verified. But again, probably one of the greatest ways that we can verify historically that Jesus rose from the grave is that of the disciples who preached the gospel of Jesus, from history we know that virtually every one of them died a horrible death for the purpose of preaching the gospel and not one of them denied that he was alive. Not one of them denied his resurrection. Friends and family, people do not suffer and die for things that are a lie. Again, we're not going to dive into all the historical significance of the resurrection of Jesus this morning. But we do need to know this. The resurrection of Jesus is what separates Christianity from every other faith in the world. Muhammad is dead. Confucius is dead. Buddha is dead. Charles Darwin is dead. But Jesus is alive. And that's what separates the gospel message. Finally today, we could talk about the incredible story of the resurrection itself. Now the Bible tells the story of the ladies who first arrived at the tomb early that Sunday morning before dawn. That they were surprised to find that the stone had been rolled away. And when they had entered the tomb, they saw his body missing. But suddenly, two angels appeared and said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? For he is not here, he is risen. Again, there's so much we could talk about the actual narratives, the stories of Jesus' resurrection from Scripture. But every one of them point to the same thing, that Jesus is alive. Keith and Kristen Getty probably summed up the power and the excitement of the resurrection when they wrote these words. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. As exciting as it would be as a pastor today to preach from any of these perspectives, and I have in the past, this Easter I felt like the Holy Spirit led me to rather answer a question. And that question is, what is a living Jesus doing today? Many of you here today fully believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And some of you here today are considering the resurrection of Jesus and where your faith lies. Because if Jesus really did rise from the grave, it changes everything. But for all of us here today, regardless of where we are, if Jesus is alive, we have to ask ourselves, what is he doing? What does that mean? Where is he presently? You know, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is like an incredible movie where you see the dawn of a hero being born through trial and adversity who ultimately ends up achieving a great victory over darkness. When you Hear a story like this, if it's told well, you usually end up leaving the theater saying, wow, they've got to make a sequel of that. Because the story is so good, you want to find out how the life impact of this new hero is going to have on this universe around him. I heard a pastor say one time that the gospel story was like one of the classic Rocky films where you see the unnamed boxer come out of an obscure place and ultimately makes his way into the ring with the champion of the world. And even though at one point when you think he's defeated, suddenly you begin to hear that Rocky theme music in the background. And you know what I'm talking about here, that dun 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 You hear it? And then suddenly, Rocky begins to fight back. He makes it to his feet before the final bell sounds, and he's the champion of the world. Now, listen, it's a good movie. Okay. In a similar way, but in truth, not in fiction. 
The gospel shows us through the victorious resurrection of Jesus that the Son of God has truly been given to the world. And when it seemed like he was down for the count on Friday, suddenly the music from heaven started playing. And up from the grave, Jesus came out of the tomb victorious over sin and death. And because Jesus is alive, your sin doesn't have to be irremovable. Your reputation doesn't have to be forever the rest of your life. You being far from God doesn't mean that you have to be forsaken by God. And even the grave, for those who are followers of Jesus, doesn't get the final say. If you believe this today, let's give Jesus praise this Easter morning. Excuse me, between the pollen and the third service, I'm struggling a little bit here today. However, the Bible shows us that the empty tomb is not where the story ends. But it's where it really begins. Today, I want to try to give you the sequel. I want to try to get us to wrap our mind around what a living Savior is doing this morning. You know, it's vitally important for us to know today what Jesus did on the first Easter. But it's also vitally important for us to know today what Jesus is doing this Easter. In a dark world where we deal with fear and death, strongholds and failure and brokenness every day, we need a living Savior to be with us today. And that is exactly what the Scriptures point us towards. Now, I'm going to speak from all over the New Testament this morning. The the passages will be on the screen, and you can keep notes as you follow along. But the Bible makes it clear that once Jesus rose from the grave, that he appeared to his disciples and several others for a period of 40 days. And at the end of that 40-day period, he ascended alive back to the Father. Look with me in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. This is what it says. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up. And while they were looking on, a cloud received him out of their sight. Friends, this is what I want us to wrap our heads around today. The scriptures show us that right now Jesus is alive and a living Savior is actively at work in the world. It means that a living Savior wants to be at work in our lives this morning. So with that being said, I want to give us three truths that we see from scripture of what a living Jesus is doing today and show you what that means to us. So if you're keeping notes, the first truth is this. First, we need to know today that a living Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. All over the New Testament, the most common place where we see our living Lord Jesus after he ascended back to heaven is that he is seated at the right hand of God. The Apostle Paul spoke about it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, whom from the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. And in Matthew chapter 26, verses 64, even Jesus himself spoke of the day that when he ascended back to the Father, that he would go to the right hand of God. He said, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. To be seated at someone's right hand had significant meaning in Jesus' day. The fact that the Scriptures wanted us to know that Jesus, a living Jesus, is seated at the right hand of God should mean several things to us this morning. 
First, Jesus being seated at the right hand of God means that he has the place of honor before God. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 8.1 says this, speaking of the honorable position of Jesus, it said, Since we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. That word majesty implies royalty and honor. According to scripture, there is only one who is worthy to sit at the right hand of God. There's only one who is worthy to take that honorable position. And it is the living Lord Jesus. Because church this morning, there is none like him. There is none like Jesus. Secondly this morning, Jesus being seated at the right hand of God means that he's been given great power by God. The scripture shows us that Jesus being seated at God's right hand means that he is endowed with all the power and might that exists in God the Father. We see it again in Matthew chapter 26 verse 64. Jesus refers not only that he'll be seated at the right hand of God, but he'll be at the right hand of power. Now in Jesus' day, someone being seated at the right hand of a person of authority meant that they had all of their authority endowed to them. Basically, everything that God could do, Jesus could do. If God had the ability in the Old Testament to part the Red Seas, Jesus has the ability to push away any barrier in his path. In the Old Testament, God had the ability to bring manna from heaven and water from a rock to feed his people. In the New Testament, Jesus is the bread of life and he is living water. And in the Old Testament, as God had the authority to bring down judgment and fire from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah, but also give grace and mercy to the family of Lot, Jesus today has the ability and has been endowed with power to give grace and mercy to all who will receive him, but one day will stand as judge over all of the earth. There's nothing that Jesus can't do. And then lastly... Finally, Jesus being seated at God's right hand means that he's been given great authority by God. It's this idea that when he rules, he rules with the authority given to him by the Father. In the Old Testament and in that world during that day, somebody seated at the right hand was often an emissary or a son that was to stand in the place of the king. In fact, when this emissary would come into town, they would fly the banners of the king. He would be given the king's signet ring, which meant he had the authority to rule in his name. And to address him was to address the king. Today, Jesus seated at the right hand of God means he is king. He's been given authority over all the earth. The Apostle Paul spoke about this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He speaks about Christ and he says that that Christ, when he raised him from the dead, has seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Paul is clearly saying here that when Jesus rose from the grave and took up his seat at the right hand of God, it meant that he was in charge, that he is king. Jesus is king. Now, you say, Pastor Zach, why do we start here at this place? I want to know what Jesus is wanting to do and work in my life. And we're going to get there in just a second. But we need to know this Easter that the fact that Jesus, the most common place we see Jesus alive 
in the New Testament, post his resurrection, is seated at the right hand of the Father, should remind us that the first thing that we need to recognize is not the power of a living Jesus, but the place of a living Jesus. Not just look for the activity of a living Jesus, but to look for the authority of the living Jesus. The fact that Jesus is alive and is seated at the right hand of God means that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. What is a living Jesus doing today? He is receiving all the praise and adoration that he is worthy of. Right now, a living Jesus is receiving praise. I thought about this in the first service As we were singing, the choir was singing, we're worshiping the Lord, thinking about all over the world today, the Christian church is celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive. Where is a living Jesus today? He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he's taking it all in because he's worthy of it. He's not denying our worship and praise. He is receiving it because he is worthy of it. So what does that mean to us today, this Easter? What should we be doing this Easter? It shouldn't just be about us, church. This shouldn't just be about what Jesus would do for me. It's about what I can do for Jesus. It's the fact that I can praise Jesus. I can honor him today. We should live today with the words of that old hymn that says, Crown him with many crowns, the lamb that is on the throne. Let me tell you one thing that you've got to do, though, to be able to truly worship Jesus this morning on Easter as he properly deserves. He's got to be your king. I had, uh, heard a story about a missionary who went to a country uh, that had a monarchy there. and He was serving the gospel in this country and that he heard that the king was going to be coming through their town. And the whole town was abuzz about the fact the king was going to be traveling through. Days in advance, they were decorating the street where the king's motorcade would come through and people were preparing He said the morning that the king was going to be coming through, that there was just buzz and energy on the streets as people stood on the side of the street and waited for hours for the king to come. And he said, hey, I've got to see this side. He said, you couldn't help but get kind of caught up in the moment. He said, finally, a few hours later, you could hear the roars of the crowd uh, uh, coming a few miles up as the motorcade made their way. He said the excitement started building. Finally, the king's motorcade came in sight, and you could see people shouting and and, and joyful shouting. They were throwing roses and things at his car, and he said as it got closer, the people around him literally started to weep. And he said you couldn't help but get caught up in this excitement. And so he, he worked his way through the crowd to finally get one glimpse at this king, and finally he saw the king. And when he saw the king, it was this feeling of total letdown because it was just a dude in a car. He said everybody around him was just going nuts. He said he started to make his way once the car went through and started to make his way back to his apartment. He said he felt so out of place. And it's weird, eerie feeling. And he, so he asked the Lord, he said he had to pray and say, God, why do I feel this way? And he said it was like the Holy Spirit rose up within him and said, Son, because that's not your king. You, you, you can't join in on that because that's not your king. 
Some of you this morning may be here today and you're kind of wrapped up in the pomp and circumstance of Easter. You got all dressed up. You got family and friends may have invited you here today. But you sing the songs and you kind of go through the motion and something is missing. You see other people with hands raised and tears coming down their face. I got a Facebook message from one of our church members that said she gets up on Easter Sunday and she sees the sun rising. It just covers her in chills to think about this day. But you don't experience that on Easter. That could very well be today because you know the story but you don't know the king and what does the living Jesus want to do today he is receiving adoration but he's also receiving people today the doors to the kingdom are open and the king is still inviting people in maybe today you can make Jesus your king so the first thing we see in scripture what is the living Jesus doing he is seated at the right hand of the father secondly According to scripture today, we see the living Jesus is working in the lives of his people. The Bible doesn't just show us that a living Jesus is seated, but he's also at work. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to know this Easter that yes, he's worthy of our praise first, but he does want to step in and move in our hearts and lives. A living Savior is working in the lives of his people As we live in a dark and broken world, some of you came in here this morning hurting. Some of you came in this morning broken. Some of you came in here this morning that you're just running on empty. I want you to know today that the power of the resurrection for all of us who are his children, Jesus wants to fill your tank today. So I want to give you five truths that we see from Scripture about what a risen Savior is doing in the lives of his followers today. First, The first way we see a living Jesus working in the lives of his people, according to Scripture, is that he is walking with them. You know, one of the most famous passages in the New Testament is the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, go there and make disciples of all the nations. It's this moment right before Jesus ascends where he is sending out his disciples post his resurrection. We see the living Jesus working and moving the hearts and lives of his people. But this is the way it ends. Jesus ends with this great promise in verse 20. He tells them, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. It's the picture of Jesus saying, My presence, I will be with you in a very real sense as you go. Now the doctrine of the omnipresence of God, meaning God is everywhere, is a foundation of the Christian faith. Recently, my older brother was trying to describe this doctrine uh, to one of my nephews, Abel. Now, my brother has five children, four boys, and it was bath time for the boys, okay? So needless to say, it's a little bit of a madhouse. Where Abel is a very intellectual kid, and and you can tell he really dwells on things, and he asks good questions, and so he's bathing them, and Abel says, So, Dad, out of nowhere, hey, Dad, so God's everywhere. He said, Yes, son. So is he in this house? Yeah, Abel, he's in the house. A few seconds went by. He said, Dad, so God is in the bathroom? I said, yes, son, God's in the bathroom. You can see his wheels moving. He said, so, Dad, so God's in the bathtub? He said, well, I mean, yeah, yes, son, I guess God's in the bathtub too, you know. And then he leans forward in this very creepy voice. He said, Dad, he's right behind you. My brother looked at him and said, well, thank you, son, for taking one of the most comforting uh, doctrines in the Christian faith and making it creepy. You know? <laughs> but the truth is, the scripture does say that God is everywhere, but he is uniquely near to those of us who are his children. 
The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 that we should rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known unto all men that the Lord is near. Friends and family, this morning, I could tell you a dozen personal stories of how Jesus has shown up in my life at just the right times. I can remember when Kimberly and I dealt with our first pregnancy. We were praying for the life of our young baby girl as she was trying to be born way too early. Jesus sent a guy named Bill Palmer at just the right time in a supernatural way to let us know he was with us. I can remember the season in my life when I dealt with severe uh, spiritual warfare that was dealing, manifesting in my life in a form of depression for a season. But Jesus sent a lady right in the middle to, to speak a word into our heart and life that really set me free. I can remember a time as a young teenage kid when I didn't know anything other than Jesus loved me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That's all I needed to know. In a very difficult season in life, I sat down on the side of my bed and I can remember uttering just his name, just the name of Jesus. And it was like Jesus came and sat down on the bed with me. I was afraid to even say another word because I was afraid his presence would leave. Friends and family here today, the scriptures show us over and over again that Jesus is real, that he is with his people. Psalms 139 verses 7 and 8 says, Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And if I just make my bed and shield, basically even if I go to hell in this life, behold, you are there. Some of you this morning need to know that a living Savior is not far from you. And maybe... The only thing that's keeping it from him manifesting in your heart and life in a real way is for you just to make some space for him. I would tell you this Easter, maybe you need to clear the room out and just take a moment or maybe even this morning in this service to say, Jesus, I need to sense you. I want to know your nearness today. And the Bible says if we draw near to God, that he will draw near to you. Secondly, We see that the scripture says that Jesus is working in the lives of his children by interceding for them. Now this is a mysterious doctrine. It's a beautiful, mysterious doctrine. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verses 34, scripture says, Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. The word intercede means to pray or to plead. It's the idea of somebody going to bat for you, somebody advocating for you. Right now, the scripture shows us that a living Jesus is praying for his people. How beautiful is that? Robert Murray McShane, a pastor in the 1800s in Scotland, he spoke about the great comfort of this doctrine and what it means to him. This is what he says. I love this. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet, distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Church family, right now, through faith, if you could just turn your ear towards heaven and think about it for a moment, that your Savior is interceding for his children. This Easter, we don't need to just celebrate that Jesus is alive, but we need to celebrate that he's aware. He's aware of what's going on in every heart and life in this room. He's aware of your struggles. He's aware of your strongholds. He's aware of your worries and your fears. And if you are his child today, he is praying for you. How comforting is that today? The third way a living Jesus is working in the lives of his children is by strengthening them. The scriptures show us that living Jesus is working in the lives of his people, often through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, 
to strengthen us, which means to uphold us, to give us power and the ability to, to remain and sustain, to go beyond what we are capable of. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul speaks about how in one setting he was preaching the gospel and all of his buddies abandoned him in the face of persecution. Now that'll bless your heart right there. You've got a big group of guys, you're out serving, serving the Lord. As soon as it gets hard, you turn around and you're by yourself. But this is what Paul said in verse 17. In that moment, he said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Isn't that beautiful to see this picture of in a moment of great struggle and hardship, the living Lord Jesus came and stood with Paul and held his arms up and gave him strength in that moment. Today, a living Lord Jesus is doing the same thing in the lives of his people. He is strengthening us. Often, he can heal physical bodies. He can touch our minds and our emotions. He can bring people around us to hold us and support us because he's real and he wants to be active in our hearts and lives. Probably one of my favorite pictures of this in the New Testament is Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, a, a young deacon named Stephen, the Bible says, is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He's not a preacher, but he's proclaiming the gospel, which is true for all of us. And as he's proclaiming the gospel, he incurs the hatred of the Jewish leaders, and they prepare to run him out of the city, and they are going to stone him. Stephen is about to be the very first Christian martyr. You talk about a moment where you need the strength of God to stand. And the Bible says in verse 56, some of the last words that Stephen recorded in his life says this. He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Think about that. Just as Stephen was about to face death, Jesus showed up in his life, standing at the right hand of the Father. It's the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is standing, not seated at the right hand of the Father. It is as if to say to Stephen, in this moment of great weakness, he says to him, I see you, I'm proud of you, I'm with you, and I've got you. And it carried Stephen all the way to death. Church family, this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus, you need to know today that Jesus can give you strength. Some of you have been strengthened by him where Jesus sees you and he says, I'm with you. I see you. I've got you today. God is a God who is near to his people. and He can strengthen you. Some of you this morning, you're weak. What does Easter say to you here today? You don't have to hold it on your own. You've got a Savior who will stand with you and strengthen you. Glory to God this morning that he is alive. The fourth way that a living Jesus is working in the lives of his children is by sending them. One of the greatest ways we see the Lord Jesus at work in the New Testament is that he's not just working and strengthening, he is sending his disciples. And why is that? Because the greatest mission and purpose for all of our lives is that we would go and tell people that Jesus is alive. I mean, if we really believe that this is true, then how do we not tell people about it? I heard a pastor say one time that on the cross, the Son of God wrote a check for the sin of the world. And on Easter Sunday, the check cleared the bank. Isn't that good? If we believe that it's true, then how can we not tell other people about it? And in fact, that's one of the things that a risen Savior is doing today. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as Jesus is raised from the dead... He's about to ascend back to the Father. This is what he says to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. 
This Easter, if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to see God at work in your heart and life, then the first place you've got to begin is to say, Jesus, here is my life. One of the first things that Jesus wants to speak to you is to say, you are mine and I'm going to send you out for my glory and my name. If you want to see a living Jesus at work in your life, you've got to be willing to go to work for him. If you want to see Jesus alive in you, you've got to be available for him. I tell you, one of the greatest ways to experience revival is to say, oh Lord, here I am. I'm all yours. Easter 2022 could be the year that you surrender to preach the gospel. Easter 2022 could be the year that you surrender to go to the nations and tell people who've never heard about Jesus. Easter 2022 could be the year that you just begin to say, oh God, I'm going to proclaim Jesus right here at home. But finally, the fifth way a living Jesus is working in the lives of his children is by receiving them. When I talk about Jesus receiving God's people, particularly I'm speaking about in the moment of death. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about Jesus and his role in the lives of God's people when they pass from this life. This is important for us to know because death is something that all of us will face as we mourn the loss of loved ones around us or as we ponder the finiteness of our own lives. And can I say, many of us have experienced the death of a loved one in the last couple of years. It seems like in some ways we've been surrounded by it at times. The Puritans used to say that death is the debt that all men pay. But the truth is, for those of us who are followers in Jesus, while death will still be hard and we will still grieve, one day we look forward to the day in Jesus' return where death will be no more. The Bible says the last enemy will be defeated. But the Bible says if we truly know Jesus, then today we grieve, but we grieve as those not without hope because we know the living Savior is with us even in the face of death. Isn't that good? The Bible says in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, it speaks about Jesus' work as he is alive in heaven on our behalf, receiving those who have died. The Bible says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now Jesus preparing them for his resurrection and ascension. This is what he says, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus makes it real clear that he is going right now. He is working in heaven. He's building mansions for his people. And as soon as we leave this world in death, he is bringing us into his glory. The theological term for this is the glorification of the saints. This is when we trade in this old broken body cursed by sin that hurts and aches. And when it's rainy and stormy outside, it feels ten times worse. Can I get an amen to that this morning? And we trade it in for a brand new body. Where we leave a world that's filled with war and brokenness and abuse and struggle. And we enter into an eternal life where Jesus is king and he's wiped every tear from our eyes. And this is what the Bible says about our Savior. The Bible says that he is a shepherd and as Psalms 23 says, he's the good shepherd who will walk with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. I tell you, I saw this doctrine illustrated probably the most beautifully when I was pastoring in northwest Alabama. I had a friend of mine who was a, had a ranch, an over 1,000-acre ranch, and he raised sheep and goats. 
And uh, he was taking me one Wednesday morning around his property, showing me all this property. And he had a thousand acres broken up into several like hundred acre plots. And, and he had all these sheep and goats, just thousands of these sheep and goats. And as you can imagine, it's impossible for him to keep his eye on all of those animals all the time. And he said one of the greatest ways that he took care of them was that he had these, he would buy these great Pyrenees dogs. If you've ever, if you're a dog lover, these beautiful white great Pyrenees. And he would put them as puppies in these pens with these sheep and goats. And he would laugh and say that as they grow up, they think they're a goat or they think they're a sheep. And he said, but naturally they would get bigger, they would grow bigger, and they would become the protectors of those sheep and those goats. As he was driving me around, we went to one pasture and all the goats were up near the fence. And I said, well, where's the dog? And he said, well, you know, I don't know where he is. He must be on the backside of the pasture. He kind of had a moment of concern, but then he just kind of brushed it off and we went along. Well, that was on Wednesday. That Sunday morning before church, he came up to me and he said, Pastor Zach, I've got to tell you something. He said, as you know, we were going to the pasture of the day and we didn't see the dog. He said that next day was Thursday and it came a bad thunderstorm. And so I didn't get a chance to get out and go check everything. And he said, so that was Thursday. He said, Friday morning, I got up to go check on all the animals. And as I drove by, I got to that same field and recognized that I didn't see the dog just like you and I had. Now it's Friday. He said, I went back and I got my UTV and I entered the pasture and I was driving over the hill. And he said, I got to the backside of the pasture where the ground tapered off towards a creek and a tree line. He said, I could see that big, beautiful white dog laying next to what appeared to be a dead goat. He said, I went to the area and I recognized that there was a goat there that was young that had got tangled up in the fence and had died. He said, but then I started to look at the dog who had not left it for three days. And the dog... In his white coat were big spots of blood where he had been injured. And he was so weak and emaciated that he could barely stand. And he said, then I started to survey the scene and see what had happened. And you could tell that in every direction around this goat that the ground was chewed up and broken up for about five yards in every direction. And you could see the tracks of the coyotes that had come. For three days, this dog had fought back these coyotes to almost to the point of his own death, to his own injury. And he said, not one hair on this baby goat was missing. He said, as he picked up this dog and put him in the truck, he took him home. He treated his wounds. He gave him food and gave him drink. And he put him in a warm place in his barn. And he said, as he was about to leave him to rest, he pet him on the head. And he said, good job, buddy. You're a good shepherd. He said, he went home sat on the front porch, and he just started to think about everything that that dog had gone through, and he was just proud of it. And he said it was like the Holy Spirit of God rose up within him and said, Frank, you know, I'm just like that too. I'm a good shepherd, and I see you right where you are, and I never leave you, and I never forsake you, and I walk with you every moment in your life, and even when you get to that place in death, I will not leave you. And as Satan and the hounds of hell try to come and claim your name, I don't leave you in that moment of death, but I fight them back with my name, and I look at the Father and say, this one is mine because I'm a good shepherd and you are mine. Church, this morning as we celebrate a living Savior who is near to his people, Know that he is near to us from the moment we give our lives to Jesus all the way up to death. And even in the moment of death, he says, I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. Let's give the Lord glory and praise here today. But our final truth today is not just a living Savior is 
seated at the right hand of the Father, worthy of all praise and adoration. And he's not just working in the lives of his followers. The last picture we see in Scripture of what a living Savior is doing today is he is knocking on the hearts of those who are far from him. I'm going to ask our instrumentalists to begin to make their way back up here. But as they do, you know, one of the final places that we see a living Jesus at work in the Scriptures is in the book of Revelations. In the book of Revelations, in the first few chapters, Jesus is surveying the churches. And as he's surveying the churches, the people, the Bible says he gets to a church called the church at Laodicea. And this is a church that was broken and it was in the midst of some great sin and sinfulness. They were far from God. Most likely some of them were Christians who are just living in disobedience. Some of them maybe even have been those who truly didn't even know Jesus. But as he's surveying them, he calls them to repentance lest they incur consequences. But then he makes this beautiful statement of a living Savior, what he's doing. In verse 20 of chapter 3, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Here we find a beautiful picture of a living Savior pursuing those people who are far from God and promises great intimacy and fellowship to those who hear and open the door. Church family, this is what Jesus was doing in his resurrected state 2,000 years ago. As he was knocking on the doors of people's hearts who were far from him. And I can tell you today on the authority of Scripture that a living Savior is doing the same thing today. He is knocking on the hearts and lives of those people who are far from him. Why? Because he loves them and he loved them enough to die for them. And he proved that he died for them by raising from the dead. And he wants them today. He wants you. Maybe some of you this morning, we've prayed today that a living Jesus would be knocking on the doors of hearts this morning. This Easter, Jesus is alive. But I want you to know today... He's alive in here. How do you know today if God is knocking on the door of your heart? If you're far from God today, let me give you a few ways. First, God may be knocking on the door of your heart today just simply by bringing you here today. The Bible says in Acts 17 that God is working in the lives of people who don't know Him, putting them in situations that they may seek and find Him. You may be invited by a family member or friend. Or you may have just known that it was Easter Sunday and it's time to go to church. And so for whatever reason, you're here today and Jesus has brought you here. Another way that you can know that God is knocking on the door of your heart is by letting you know how much you need Him today. Maybe right now you're recognizing you need Him. Maybe God is revealing to you that you're a sinner And that you need a Savior. Again, we talked about Jesus is coming one day to judge the earth. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Church family, he judges according to his standard, not the standard of the world. In a world where everything that God loves, the world is hating. And everything that God hates, it seems like the world is loving. We need to know this morning that a living Savior will judge one day according to his standard. And it doesn't matter. There is no scale in heaven of how much good I have done compared to how much bad I have done. Because all of us are guilty. What matters on that day is if you trusted Jesus fully in faith for the salvation of your soul. The Bible says that we're all sinners and we need that. Maybe you're contemplating eternity today. 
The fact that, yes, one day we'll stand before God. Or maybe God's just showing you that you're empty inside. You've got money. You've got house. You've got family and kids. Everything in the world is good for you. But something is missing. Where does that come from? That's from the God who is drawing you today. Because he's not going to let this world replace him. Nothing will ever satisfy like Jesus can. And finally this morning, God could be knocking on the door of your heart just by an awakening, a desire for him. Maybe today you hear that Jesus loves you. And that he died on the cross for your sin. And you hear that you can become a new person in him, which the Bible calls it being born again. Now, on Easter, we celebrate that Jesus went into the grave dead and came out alive. The Bible says for those who know him, he does the same thing for us. The old man dies and the new man comes. Maybe today that's you. You say, man, I need that. I want to know Jesus today. If that desire is in your heart, it's not coming from you. It's coming from a God who is awakening that within you. A living Savior who's drawing you today. And the Bible says He's available. You know, the best thing that could happen this Easter would be for some of you to have your own resurrection. Would it be for some of you today to come to life in Jesus? That's what He wants to do. Ask yourself, is God drawing me today? Am I far from God? Not are you religious, not have you gone through the church motions, but do you know Jesus? Is he your king today? Did you wake up with joy and anticipation because the king of kings is the Lord of your life? Do you know him today? If you don't, you can right now. I mean right now, you can. I'm going to ask you to bow just right there where you are. And I said this earlier, create a space for Jesus and he can step in. I'm going to ask you to create a holy space around you. Don't worry about the people around you. Just focus on God. And I'm going to ask you this question today. Do you really know Jesus? Do you really know Him? Is He drawing your heart today? Do you want to know Him today? If you need to give your life to Jesus, if you need to open the door and let Him come in, then right there where you are, you can pray a prayer like this to the Lord. Remember, a prayer doesn't save you, but a holy moment and a cry to God does. Maybe you'd pray this with me right now from you to the Lord. Say, dear Jesus. Pray it with me if this is you. Dear Jesus, I believe. I believe. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you love me. And I believe you're drawing me to yourself right now. So I say to you, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. I give my life to you. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you to respond boldly in one way. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to come forward. This is between you and I. But if you ask Jesus to save you this morning, if you prayed that prayer between you and Jesus, nobody's looking around, this is between you and I. And it'll stay between you and I right here in this moment. If you ask Jesus to save you, would you just glance up at me? Amen. I see you. 
Anybody else in this room, you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. I'm surveying the room. You say, Pastor Zach, I, I asked Jesus to save me. Just, just put your eyes on me here for a moment and keep them on me till I see you. I see you. Others in this room, you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. I see you. Others in this room today, you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. I gave my life to Jesus. Just glance up at me right now. Just keep your eyes on me just for a moment. Between you and I, I see you. Is that you today? I see you. I see you. Praise God. This is what I'm going to ask you to do here in just a moment. If you ask Jesus to save you, that little pink card there. In front of you, you can mark on there that I gave my life to Jesus. And we would love to talk to you about those next steps, what it means to follow Christ. But it starts right there today. I'm going to ask one more thing. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Zach, I do know Jesus, but I'm far from God. And I need Him to do a revival work in me. And I want it to begin this Easter. I need to get back in church. I need to get back in the Word. I need to get back to serving with Him. I need Him to be alive and at work in my life. If that's you today, would you look up at me right now? Say, Pastor Zach, I, I, I need Jesus to do a revival work in my life this Easter. Just look up at me right there where you are. All over this room. Amen. I see you. All over this room. Praise God. This is what we're going to do. We're going to sing. And as we sing, this altar is open. You make this holy place a place where you meet with God. Our pastors will be up front if you want somebody to pray for you. You feel free to come. Take that pink card if you need more information about our church. If if you want to give your life to Christ or fall through in baptism, man, mark that on that card. But right now, take this moment as a time with God. Would you stand right there where where you are? Father, I ask in Jesus' name, give us strength and courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.